Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on the journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. My name is Mike Fada. I have Susie York from Love Good Fats. Um, we're going to transition, if you're good, Susie, into uh, into some Q and A. Um, yep. So if you uh, if you have a question, uh, raise your hand. Uh, we'll bring you up on stage. Uh, please mute your mic when you come up on stage, and when it's your turn, um, introduce yourself and uh, and ask your question. And um, I don't think there's any questions that are off limits. Or uh, throw the hard ones at. Throw the easy ones to Susie, the hard ones to me, or the hard ones to Susie, too, maybe. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hi, Susie. Can you guys hear me? We yep. can. can. Uh, you both are so inspiring. Uh, for people in the room who don't know me, I'm Richa, founder of Good Food for Good. Uh, both of you are such inspiring Canadian success, and uh, um, I would just love to get your thoughts on, um, on our recent launch at Whole Foods Nationally. So we are launching amidst COVID, um, no sampling opportunity per se, uh, demos, which was my big, um, you know, something that I was relying on. Um, would love to get your thoughts and ideas on um, any other things that you've tried that you think I should look at to make this launch a success. Hi, Richa. I follow you on uh, on LinkedIn, and thanks for kind of you know staying connected and and good work on uh, on on your brand and your success to to date. So congratulations! Thank you. Um, you know, it's been uh, it it's been really really tough um, when you know we've obviously benefited from millions of sample occasions in Canada, bars and bellies, millions, and then in the U.S. Just as with as we were getting you know our winners and trial plans together, we did you know we did a couple hundred thousand of sampling occasions, and then boom, you know, COVID hit. So we're we're trying to figure it out like everyone else, um, and I think the what you kind of will have like my advice and what we're doing is you want to balance the ROI. You know, you kind of want to balance how much you're spending, knowing that your return. Like we've we've measured every single event we've done from a tiny little event in in Quebec, which was you know a little kind of five k run with you know five thousand people. We have every single event we've ever done on awareness and trial on a, on an Excel spreadsheet, and we just add a row. You know, every time we have a new one, we have three in a weekend. Boom, you have three rows. We've tracked every single awareness or trial event that we've done, and um, you know the ROI on your marketing investments really going to go down. So you know, so if so, you you kind of have to balance. How much money do you have to spend in marketing? Uh, what can you get with trade spend? Because obviously displays is, is usually your most cost-effective, you know, first place you place the first dollar in. And then you're going to have to kind of consider, like, how much do I do to spend on marketing awareness versus trial? And how much do I want to keep for a little bit later when the ROI is better, when the consumer is more apt to discover new brands. Um, we're all kind of waiting to hear if, you know, if demos are going to start up again and how they would look like. Um, I don't know if you can demo. It's your sauces, right, that are that are um, across Canada? That's, uh, that's correct. And across U.S. is what we just launched. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> So I, you know, uh, on bars, you know, I think the world of sampling pieces of bars is forever gone. Uh, so that changes the ROI on sampling. So I, I think, you know, I know your your sauces are delicious. Um, you're really going to, like, we've shifted to awareness, you know. So, so but, you know, you kind of have to uh, have an eye for, you know, every dollar you spend today is probably going to be as effective as a dollar you spend in a in six or a year a year from now, depending on um, on how quickly COVID recovers. So there's no magic kind of formula. Yeah, I would just add, uh, Richard. I think you know, um, 
your product lends itself to uh, single serve samples. Not not easy to pull it off, but um, people are used to uh, um, at least ketchup in in that single serve pack, and and maybe it'd work for for some of the others. So, um, I, you know, at Mantle Harvest, we had a strong active uh, sampling program and passive sampling program. Susie can do that as well. It just costs her a full bar nowadays, unless you're making mini yep. bars. But uh, that may be a consideration. Uh, for you that uh, if if longer term demos live demos aren't going to be back or, or or be as effective as they were uh, a passive sampling option thank you guys yeah that's something we are we we are looking at but it's uh, again the investment for that is huge for in, in our category uh, but i'm 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 willing to invest because i know at least that's what i understand um, there is no other option at this point and Mike, I don't know if that's why you brought me up, but as the sample queen, maybe I could add a few thoughts. Yeah, please. <laughs> so, uh, Marisha, founder of Sampler, and uh, Susie loved hearing your points around like the importance of discovery, and I think um, that's completely right. And discovery was already kind of being uh, challenged with like the shift to e-commerce, right? And so much of uh, the decision making happening on e-com, but. At Sampler, we do offer a direct-to-home uh, sampling option. So that would allow, you know, Risha, if you had, um, like, a single serve, and obviously, like, uh, we've chatted about this, us too, but if you have a single serve to potentially ship that single serve to the consumer, um, Sampler can actually target based on the retailer that you're distributed at, the location. Um, so we can get super granular. We can even, um, you know, target people who have high-fat uh, high fat diets um so just just like bringing awareness to this whole concept of digital sampling and direct to consumer sampling because it's uh definitely a growing trend with um demos being canceled yeah thank you marie like that's the plan once the samples are ready i know i'm knocking your door <laughs> can't wait there we go uh andrea uh please you're up next Thanks, Mike. So great to see you guys and sharing everybody. Uh, Susie, I'm just such a huge fan and kudos as a single mom entrepreneur and all that you've done. I mean, just fantastic growth. And my question for many of the founders in the early phase of, of scale up, the five angels, I believe you mentioned, and then about 45 VCs going through a, a handful over the last few years. I think I've gone through a couple of dozen of meetings and just the amount of time that it takes how did you find your list or recommendations? And especially in the earlier phase before, like you said, you know, you didn't have those huge listings. What, what was sort of that magic or some recommendations of who's those right targets that are interested in that innovation and the new phase or the new scale up side? For the VCs, Andrea? For the VCs and like for you the started with, yeah. yeah, for the funding and you started with angels too, you said, right? Yeah. Five. Yeah. Well, and I'll, and I'll have a, I'll have um, Mike jump in in terms, but the angels is really, you know, um, it really is friends and family. Now I had like no friends and I grew up poor. I shared a bedroom with my mom for 13 years. Uh, so I, you know, I didn't, uh, in a small apartment in Montreal, so I didn't really uh, have, you know, the family that could invest to, to start up. But um, exactly. Yeah, but but for sure, you know, the um, you kind of want to start there. It, it's really really hard to get the right valuation um, if uh, unless you're in with an incubator. So I think you know, District Ventures uh, definitely looks at uh, like all startup brands and and mm-hmm. uh, and the you know Arlene really wants to support food startups in Canada. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I was in cohort four and that's how I met Mike and that's how I met, uh, I don't know, there's five or six other of the CEOs that I met there that were still, you know, Facebook, uh, like content working together all the time and, and DMing and, and I'm trying to kind of, you know, buy some fava beans from, from a cohort (laughs) there. Right. Like, it's like for sure, uh, it's worth like you know, it's all about networking. And if you're in the incubator world in, in Canada, you, you'd want to kind of look at that. 
Yes. And it opens doors, you know, like one out of five conversations will open a door to two other people that will actually be kind of someone actually that would invest. So, you know, it, it really is the old old school networking that we, we learned. Um, once you're, once you're big enough, then, uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of kind of benchmarks for, for VCs, uh, mm-hmm. and, and EDC and BDC. So those should be high, high on your list. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you can't get, you know, you can't get, um, debt uh, easily from the Canadian banks unless you're profit positive And that's a whole other conversation <laughs> which we can totally. get into. Um, yeah. but, but we can, you know, we can, we can chat offline. Uh, I'll let Mike jump in but um you know that kind of is the path and uh it's not an easy path for canadian startups it's really 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 hard to raise it is yeah and that's where i totally relate and and just you know kudos to finding the right ones because i hear that more and more and you know being part of many other canadian women in food groups and, and other entrepreneur groups it's it's a very common challenge especially in this early ramp up phase, right? Lots, once you get your, your big national listings, a um, little easier, yep. like you said, when you have your profit, um, your P&L flowing, but, and you've got the kudos of some big brands behind you, but it's that gap. And I mean, there's, there mm-hmm. is some fantastic um, accelerators and highly, you know, agree with networking is so key. And hence we're here, right? To, yep. to share in, in, in the learnings. That, that's what it's all about, Andrea. Yeah. I think, you know, I just, um, um, from my experience, if you can if you could bootstrap your business to a million dollars, you're really going to set yourself up for um, future capital raises, and you know, and, and and that may include your your own personal debt or finances or your friends and family. Um, but if you can get to that million dollars, uh, then you're you're better prepared to um, you know, go after angels and and finance the business with angels to you get to maybe five million dollars in. Uh, in revenue, you think you got to be minimum five million dollars to to have the right scale uh, economies of scale for 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 a venture capital firm to invest uh, five million and probably thirty percent growth a year. And right, uh, obviously, Susie did that in year one, so or or far <laughs> surpassed that. So it, it, yeah, it, it, and any business that can, uh, you know, you set yourself up for more options. But the the same the opposite is true. Uh, you know, if you if you raise venture capital too early, um, it, it, you could have the best business or best product and 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 you could have uh, undue harm to the business be- just because there's expectations of, uh, of 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 certain growth and and uh, and governance as well that uh, that um, that and not not it's not really ideal for for startup. Um, but in Canada, you have some great resources. I mean, CHFA uh, we're trying to be a better resource for that. Natural Products Canada is another resource. Yes. The district uh, and and the accelerator programs uh, similar in the U.S. Uh, you know the. Uh, uh, skew or, or or beyond skew or the the, the naturally uh, uh, Boulder or naturally San Diego or the um, those outfits uh, are are there to um, you know to to really try to bridge that gap because it is a it is a challenging time when you're proving your your product market fit um, and and then trying to raise the uh, raise the capital on that. Well, and, and even the elephant in the room. I mean, reality, Susie. It's been fantastic to see that investment come through, but still, we know Mike five percent of all funding is still only going to women right so that's a a huge disparity and you know with women's international day coming up it just i keep hearing it over and over again so i think the more we share but i I appreciate your transparency because i think being realistic and understanding as as long as you can to your point of bootstrapping to about a million um and keeping that equity because we've had that challenge of yeah there's been lots of interest but they want a lot of equity up front and then a um, you know, that's not in our, our strategy. We really want to be that life of, of creating that, that longer term value. So it's, it's not about the quick in and out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks yeah, for sharing yeah. guys. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, Andrew. Hey everybody. How's it going? Doing great. Mike mm-hmm. twice in twice in one day. Are you sick of me today or um, well, I'm hoping you're you're here to ask Susie a question, but I am no, not not sick of you by any means. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Susie. Um, it's really good to get a chance to speak to you. Um, for everyone in the room, my name's Andrew. I'm the founder of Flourish, a protein uh, breakfast company. And um, Susie, yeah, again, it's it's such an honor. Uh, great to hear you bring up DV. I was actually cohort seven, so just a little bit after you, but uh, you were always a huge success story that everybody always talked about. So um, it's great to be here. Um, 
my my question today and um I always did this when I was in DV, so I'm bringing it bringing it back to my district ventures roots. Was, um, you know, when they would bring experts into the room, I always wanted to know what was kind of the secret or, or what was the hack. If there was something that you had never, um, you know, shared with the food industry, I want to give you a chance to share it today. What's that secret to growth um, that you would say has kind of you know helped you propel forward the most? And what can other small brands you know work on? now that they're trying to grow? Well, the, so the, um, first of all, there's no one secret bullet. I wish it were that easy. You know, the saying, the saying was that, you know, that, that uh, the overnight success story is seven or 10 years in the making still holds true. I think, you know, we're, we're the exception in terms of, you know, maybe though the, the revenue is much, much higher than, uh, than most of the launches, but it's still, uh, it's still a lot of sweat. And, and the couple things I'll leave you with is, you know, you have to have a little bit of luck and uh, good decisions that lead to luck. So I don't know if they're related, but it's, you know, the P's of positioning product price value and awareness and trial is fundamental. Um, in our case, you know, I kind of was really, really fortunate to also connect with, uh, you know, Patrick Higgins, um, an early kind of supporter and and then investor now board member and these things are all kind of related you know the um, so you 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 absolutely have to have your positioning nailed and we've evolved it and we're just rebranding now so if you're in the u.s you can see our new website um if you're in canada you have to have a vpn to go see our new branding but you have to have the positioning and the product because if you make a promise in your positioning and your product sucks, forget it. And you have to have the right price value, which usually is not a problem unless you're a $4 bar, you know, really priced out. Not usually a problem. Um, and then you have to have the, some awareness and trial. So those are kind of the big four. If you, you know, if you have a, if you're on a presentation with me and you see my PowerPoint, you'll see that. But then you kind of have to have that magic that happens. And, and for me, it was meeting Patrick in, in, you know, working with Patrick and then meeting Patrick early on. Um, and, you know, being such a, you know, a strong broker in Canada and, and, uh, and knowing the bar industry and kind of really clicking on multiple levels and, and having him, you know, he's been our general manager for the last year and has his own brokerage and all that kind of stuff. And so, so I think you kind of, Sorry, Mike. I was just going to say Patrick's in the yeah. audience too. So if you don't, oh, know, if you don't know Patrick yeah. and you want to meet Patrick, uh, you know we're all here to uh, to network as well. So uh, check out Patrick. Yeah, he's an icon in in Canada. Had his own brokerage for twenty years, and then has been president of uh, NSS in Canada for the last five with John. So you know, we just you know you. I don't know if it, it's kind of luck or a combination of, but you, you want to have a bunch of things going the right way. And, and for us, that was uh, a pivot and game changer. It allowed us to have the confidence to, to launch in the U.S. and make a lot of other big moves. Um, so you kind of have to have a couple of building blocks fall into place. But um, I'll hopefully have time to do some some founders to founders on positioning and product because if you and if you don't get those two right, you know, you're not going to be able to surround yourselves by the, you know, the rainmakers like the Patricks and 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 uh, and and the EDCs and Investigos and all the other partners that have supported us. So uh, so it's kind of all hand in hand. Yeah, I think I would definitely want to know more about um, positioning, uh, and hopefully we can chat about that offline uh, for everyone in the room. I, I tried to get the secret out of Susie, but, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't. Well, I, I just add, uh, <laughs> and you know, I think, uh, and you probably get it just from listening to Susie. Um, you and I actually talked about it today, you know, cause I, I wrote Manitoba harvest business plan like a thousand times over the 20 years. Susie has, 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 is, is really written the vision and the mission and, and the plan for love, good fats over and over again. Um, and it's, it's one of those strengths of being a marketer. It's, uh, especially when you're a classically trained marketer, it's in you. Um, and Susie has that. So I think when you can, when you can clearly articulate your vision and that part of that is product market fit for sure, but it's a lot bigger than that for, for the brand and for the full business, uh, you, you, you get, you get people around you that uh, that want to that can see that vision as well and, and want to support you in accomplishing it. 
Awesome. My, my notepad has been filled. Thank you guys so much uh, for the brief time. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Oh, good. Paul, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure if... Uh, did you have your hand up and, and, uh, and you're coming up? Uh... Yeah, love to. Yeah, great. Please. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for the room. Love it. Uh, hi, everybody. Susie, congratulations. Amazing brand, amazing success story. So I have, I have um, two, uh, two very simple questions that I, I think are going to be hopefully very valuable to anyone that's starting in the industry. Uh, that uh, for me, as, as I grew my bar business early on and then became a co-packer, uh, and I raised money as well, um, two of the scariest things for me. One was uh, making the decision to either run with a co-packer as opposed to building your own facility, number one. What sort of criteria did you use there? Uh, was it an easy decision or a difficult decision? Um, and number two, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you know, your, your numbers are incredible, but you're still not uh, profitable. And, and I think that's, that's a really important piece for young entrepreneurs to understand and, and uh, it gets back to that emotional intelligence piece, like you, you know, you're working years into this business and you're still kind of fighting for that, for that um, for, you know, success and, and profitability and things like that. And again, I've been through that myself many, many times. And it was, for me, always the two really big stressors. So if you could talk to those, I would, I would love it. Yeah, and we, we talked about it a little bit earlier uh, on the Coleman. You know, our, our, our point of difference and our, our, you know, when you do your company swap, our, our strengths and our competitive, long-term competitive advantages is not to be a co-packer. Um, it, it, you know, the, the bar industry, I think, on average has less kind of, co-packers than most but i think you know nema in terms of, of the brands but i think nema is on and nema is a phenomenal success story of a um uh, a brand that has their own manufacturing so i would recommend you you connect with with nema here to get that version but it's hard you know it, it's hard to both uh and i think mid midday squares and i understand you know are built their plant so it, it really is, it's hard. You know, you, you kind of have to do the math. Like I, I think I recall the rule of thumb is 20 points margin uh, across categories, at least for the last 15 years. So you, you know, you, you kind of have to figure out um, if you're going to be able to have that competitive advantage with your own Coleman. I think uh Flow Water um, started without co-packing, if I recall back when, and they have a plant and a proud, you know, Canadian uh, manufacturing. So you're gonna you're gonna ha- kind of have to figure out all the pros and cons, and there's no one answer because um, there's examples on both. But you just have to run the P and Ls and, and kind of see what will work for you. One more quick question, if I could. Um, was there a process that you used to to make a decision to uh, either go direct to consumer or pivoting during the pandemic, as you talked a little bit about earlier? Um, was there a process you used in terms of looking at P and L and margins, going to brick and mortar, uh, typical traditional uh, retailers, as opposed to selling direct to consumer, or finding some sort of a blend or a balance? Yeah, Paul. Like our, as mentioned, kind of way, way earlier in the call, we had a strat plan written in 2016, way before we raised our our first angel uh, money. And that strat strategic, three year strategic, five year strategic plan always assumed we're going to be playing in the in stores and retail. And the goal back then was, you know, to eventually grow the the e-com business to, you know, 15 to 25 percent of the business, depending. And, and we kind of are really true to that plan. Of course, so that's just our model. You know, we're not uh, we're we're a, we're a retail brand business that is doing really well in e-com. Um, and, and there's a lot of competitors out there and hundred million dollar brands that are just D to C, but that's not us. So, uh, what, of course, when COVID hit, as we were looking at how to, you know, our five strategies to protect our employees and consumers and cash flow and P and L, um, uh, and product supply, I mean, uh, moving some business to D to C was high on the list. And we've done that, you know, got listed on a whole bunch of dot coms and dot CAs and 
prioritize, you know, Instacart and all that kind of stuff. But we already had our strategies to 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 be an eighty percent uh, in in retail business. We've just accelerated our e-com part of the business, but we've, we're not, you know, fundamentally pivoting the company uh, on it on its head to to change the model. There, there's other brands that are playing in that space, and and our core competencies and strength is in is on the shelves in retail and in the thousands of doors we're in in Canada and the U.S. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Erica, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for creating this room. Um, yeah, so I have a question regarding scaling. Um, I'm super small right now, so I manufacture my product myself uh, in a commercial kitchen. And right now, like, I'm struggling to meet the demand of my product, so now we're looking at co-packers. So we're having conversations with co-mans in the States as well as Canada. Um, so I have a couple questions for you. Did you look at getting your product manufactured in the States? Um, is it manufactured in the States or is it manufactured in Canada? And then my other question as well is when I take this next step, um, what financially should I be or what kind of capital should I have um, for my first production run and to take this next level up? So the so Erica, like I I don't know enough. I love your product and uh, I'm very impressed with what what you're doing. Um, uh, and definitely, you're in an emerging category that uh, uh, I think you know. If you have a peek at Whole Foods US, you're going to see that uh, a competitor has a similar product uh, that's kind of starting to roll out on the shelf. So you're you're on to something. Uh, that has a lot of consumer appeal and a strong insight uh, in terms of what consumers want. So that's all really good. Uh, I can't comment enough on, because uh, I don't know enough the business model on co-packing versus, um, uh, versus kind of uh, doing it yourself. It, you, there, but I would think similar to our model, you know, you'd be better off to the co-packer and kind of, you know, pay that extra margin um, until you're at a large enough size where you're like, okay, you know, uh, we'll kind of, we'll raise money to build our own plant. Uh, And Mike, you you probably have more experience with some brands that have kind of toyed with that to to jump in. Yeah, I'm happy to. uh, I I mean, I think Erica, just, you know, Canada versus US, um, you know, there's there's likely cost advantage to uh, operating in uh, doing your co-packing in Canada just because of the exchange rate. And and I'd say it's probably normal for a Canadian brand if they can to co-pack in Canada and then have a third party distribution warehouse um, in the US so that they don't so you can clear customs, um, um, you know, pallets or truckloads at a time instead of instead of handling uh, handling it in smaller uh, smaller shipments than that. And uh, I think the consideration around working capital, um, it, it really intensifies um, from what you're doing right now is, is kind of full control in a commercial kitchen to uh, to a co-packer scale up. It, 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 it's a, um, you know, the, the lead time for the co-packer, um, some, you know, sometimes it's like four or six weeks uh, lead time to, to get an, a run done. So how much inventory do you need and how much buffer stock do you need to, uh, to accomplish that? You're also going to have to pre-order those ingredients at the scale, depending on the, on the co-packer. And so doing that, uh, doing a, a, a thorough review of what the minimum inventory levels that you'll, that you'll need to have to sustain the co-packer and then, and then costing that is, is, uh, would be good in your planning phase. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for coming up. Layla, how are you? Great. How are you? Hi, it's Lila Shea. Susie, you and I go way, way back. Way, way back. I know. It's great (laughs) to see. The last time I saw you was actually on an airplane. Um, But you know that I'm always interested in consumer insights. And I really love, um, you know, just hearing your story and hearing that, you did include, you know, you did lots of consumer research. And I, I would just love to hear what you found, um, you know, when you're spending your own dollars, what was the most important consumer research that you were conducting as a startup? 
Well, the 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 tried and true, uh, which I kind of learned at P and G, and then you know PepsiCo, and then Heinz. The tried and true concept testing for new products, uh, new brands, new products, line extensions. I have spent the last well, I've spent all my thirty years deeply immersed in in in, in using concept testing to uh, understand uh, potential off line extensions, category extensions, and new brand launches, Canada, U.S., around the world. So, uh, you know, there's different f- forms of that. You know, there's the expensive bases and all the different research companies have their version. But pretty much, you know, writing down the concept, headline, picture, insight, benefit, reasons to believe, and price. You write that down on a sheet of paper. You put it in front of consumers in the old days, you would go to malls, not you, but your research company. You'd go to malls and, and show it to consumers, and they'd be, you know, behind the little kind of table and write purchase intent. Definitely would buy, probably would buy, all the way down. And then likability, believability, uniqueness, this product's for me, this brand's for me, likes, dislikes. That basic kind of tool, I've probably done over a 1,000 now concept tests between my last, just in the last 10 years between my work in consulting and then the brand we've we've done i don't know seven eight nine rounds to optimize you can optimize your insights optimize your reasons to believe optimize your benefit positioning optimize your packaging but it's really as simple as we call it a concept it's called a concept but just put in front of the consumer what she will eventually see at the shelf or in an ad even and get the reaction and then know how to read that because research is garbage in, garbage out. So perhaps working with someone like you to kind of help make sure that the, you know, the research is done properly um, and the results are interpreted properly is really key. Thanks, Susie. That's, um, it's interesting to hear that nothing has changed from, <laughs> from the way you used to do it working in big companies compared to now when you're essentially spending your own dollars, right, as a startup. Yep, that was the first dollar I ever spent, or the first $1,200 I ever spent was on, uh, on uh, going directly to the, to the database and, and field the, the, the concept tests in, in the U.S. and Canada, 200 consumers, and it was my first dollar spent saying, okay, you know, let's go see what the consumer has to say about this idea. Interesting. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Every business needs a good marketer like you, Susie, in the business to uh, uh, to put that game plan together uh, to get those insights and uh, and get the positioning kind of worked out. So there's uh, there's no wonder that you're uh, that you're you're proving success because uh, you have the uh, the skills. Good, good. Well, thank you. You're welcome, Anna. Hi. Uh, you want to introduce yourself and what's your question? Hi, my name is Anna, and I'm the co-founder from Pepper North. It's a uh, very nice to get all this in- insight tonight. My question is, with COVID um, bringing on so many challenges, um, especially increases for um, packaging and ingredients, freight and supplies, um, we've had to implement a price increase this year, um, but we've had you know, some retailers reject the increases and these retailers are, you know, some major grocery retailers. Have you had any experience with this? Um, and at what point, you know, do you pass another increase and then it gets rejected again? Yeah. Pricing is, is really, uh, it's, it's really challenging right now overall. I don't know if, if we, we follow the same people on LinkedIn, Anna, and congratulations on your hot sauces. I'm addicted I'm a hot sauce consumer and I'm addicted to your sauces and I've been following you since that first, you know, your batches made at home in your, your back shed, I think. Um, so, you know, congrats on the, the rapid scale of, uh, of bringing your sauces to, I think, you know, probably close to, to and leadership in terms of Canadian made uh, sauces in Canada. So, so great job there. Um, Price increases are, 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 are uh, sorry, the P&L during COVID is very challenging. There's like a funny post on, on LinkedIn, but it's not funny about all of the things that are hitting us from cost increases to trade spend ROI, which we talked about earlier, is not working as much. Your mark as well, your 
marketing dollars aren't working as well. Uh, every single touch point of the P&L, uh, your MOQs uh, hitting you, your, your, your potential write-offs hitting you. Like there's literally a list of 10 things in your P&L that's really, really tough with, with, with the hits of COVID. Um, so I think on, on pricing per se, I, I don't have enough experience in your category. Um, but you know, all of the retailers I've met have always, the buyers I've met have always kind of come down to the same thing. Like the PL has to work for you. So they want to know the price that works for you. And if, the price doesn't work for you, you know, it's not going to work out unless, you know, you have to have that right price value. If the price equation doesn't work for you, how long can you kind of manage it short term and yourself eat it versus getting the right price on the shelf? But you don't have a sustainable proposition if your price or it doesn't allow if you if you can't get the PL to work with the price you have, you have to take a price increase. And if you don't do that one way or the other, you're going to hit a wall. So you 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 got to figure out uh, what will the consumer pay. I think in your in your case, you know you're probably quite inelastic, so you can the consumer would pay for a higher price. The retailer is your barrier right now. Um, well, and, and you, well, and that's the thing, right? Um, you know, before COVID, one of the reasons we've been able to be so successful is because we have an artisan product in grocery. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're very different than what's yep. out on the shelves right now. Um, you know, yep. but like with COVID and everything going up, right. And with the grocery retailers being able to accept or reject, it kind of puts you, you know, in a tough spot being a small yep. business. When I'm, and I'll have to plug again, you know, our, our, our broker, but I, I think I would really, um, my understanding is your, your brand is probably quite inelastic and you could take the price increase. I would, if you're not working with a broker, I would kind of try to kind of lean on if you're having trouble getting the price increase approved and you know that that's where you need to be to have a sustainable brand and you know the consumer. I mean, all the consumer research we just ca- talked earlier, we have value scores, you know, uh, um, perceived value equation. And if you if you know your value is okay at the higher price, so positioning, product, price value, if you know you have the right value equation of the right pricing, then it's really an execution problem you have. And uh, if you don't have a broker or, uh, you know, just you know, maybe you want to kind of lean on how do I solve the problem I have, which is an execution with the retailer problem. Right. That's a big topic, right? Like, that's a big topic. <laughs> yeah. I, I would just add there, uh, Susie, and for, Anna, for your benefit, um, it's really in the package of presentation materials that you send um, uh, to support the price increase because um, what ideally the retailer, um, everyone's trying to keep uh, keep the prices down for the consumer, but if you can show that your commodity prices have increased X and your, your labor and overhead have increased X, at least they can understand your story. They still want to compare it against the category and, and, and some of your competition. And, and, uh, but you, you really, uh, especially dealing with a major grocery retailer, you're going to have to have a, a very uh, solid package. And some of them will even want to be showing, you know, your invoices for some of your materials, whether it's peppers or, or bottles or, or whatever before. And, and, and now what is it that's justifying that, uh, that, pr- that percentage price increase? Right. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it makes sense. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Kim, over to you. Hello. Um, thanks for the room. I, I don't really have a, a, a real question. I got excited when I saw natural products and founders helping founders. Um, I am a founder. I'm a co-founder of a natural product and was just kind of drawn into the energy of helping. Um, my husband created a product for me actually about six years ago. I was diagnosed pre-diabetic and he created a turmeric paste that has helped me and thousands of other people in the last several years. And just recently in September, we kind of had pop, you know, had mastered the pop-up game, the farmer's markets and all those things and kind of getting all that information. And in September, HEB in Texas, in, in Texas called us and we're there now. 
and um, it's it's great. Um, we're excited about it. I'm learning a lot, um, and I, so that's why I just kind of came to the room and, and seeing what other founders are saying and kind of hearing what's going on. Well, first, major congratulations. HEB is a phenomenal retailer to be to be in. You're clearly on a hot trend with turmeric. It's kind of helped you and and uh, uh, your paste product, I'm sure, will help uh, many, many others. So uh, congrats there. Um, are there, it's like, it's an exciting journey. There's a lot of kind of things to maneuver. Uh, the, uh, I would just make sure that it, you're at a really wonderful retailer. The challenge with HEB is getting data. So, you know, kind of try to figure out how, how you're doing in terms of reading and getting your proof of concept, which we talked earlier is, is most challenging out of each HEB because uh, they don't release much. But um, try to kind of uh, get, you know, get some displays and um, get some wins in terms of a fast start with them. It's just really hard, I think, to share, you know, to get any results from them to share um, other than, you know, uh, how you're doing. And if they are listing more and more of your products, then you know you're doing really well. Um, you know, we, we're in two different sets at HEB and getting more and more flavors listed. So they're just a phenomenal partner for, for us. So so congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, you're right. Getting that data is, is something. But um, I, I have, my buyer has been very helpful. Um, it's It's been hard. I guess this is a question. It's been hard for us because there's not a lot of products like ours on the market. And so they don't have a lot of comps. You know, there's not a lot to compare it to or – um, and so it's kind of just floating. So you're right. I'm being very conscious about getting some data. Well, the the hard and uh, the only product in the market should not be two kind of words that in the same sentence. You know, if you're, uh, you know, from a positioning perspective, if you're first to market with either a unique product or a better product, you're golden. So I would just make sure that you, you know, you stay really, really close to that. And in your presentations, you highlight the fact that you're unique or in your case, you're unique, that there's no other product like that. You have your competitive advantage and that's, that's magic for you. So just make sure you hold on to that and leverage that. And yes, indeed, trying to get data out of them is hard. But, you know, in, in your circumstance, getting in the right location in the store might be uh, some, like, I don't know where your shelf, but sometimes with new products, and, and Mike can jump in and have, have more insight on that, uh, given, you know, given what you've done, it, that might be a challenge, right? Who, who knows if in you're in the right, location in the store given your unique exactly exactly so that's kind of what we're playing with right now we're in the healthy living section in the cold cooler yeah and um that's not very um you know people go there to shop and they get the items so it it works for that but it, it definitely could be in um a better displayed place. We were highlighted for Black History Month for the month of February. I mean, we're it's it's an honor. I mean, we've been in less than six months, and we've probably gotten, um, you know, the connections that someone has been there for five years. So we're grateful. Um, just want to make the most of it. And um, and when you said in your presentations, are you saying in your presentations to other? companies or yeah, to other retailers um, like okay. your sales okay. your sales deck and and if you you know again if you don't have a, a, a broker maybe when you know it might make sense to have someone or a, a vp of sales might or head of sales it might help make sense but your sales deck and that mic is probably a whole other you know in itself would be one presentation uh or or, or one event but just having a very strong pitch deck like sales deck we call it our master sales deck um is really really key and it's you know fact-based selling so you set up the opportunity you share your big idea you show you know your proof of concept and all your numbers and then you close the sale that's pretty key to go from account to account once you have your story yeah yeah that 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 
that big ask at the end, Susie, and then then close yep. the sale. Yeah, Boom. just I, yep. I, I would say there on, on the on the point of merchandising, we've learned a lot about that. Kim, uh, you know, hemp hearts can be started out being sold in the supplement area uh, of of natural food retailers and and grocery retailers, um, but we've played with that merchandising tied to the usage occasion and selling hemp hearts in the produce uh, 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 section of the store with cereal because that's how consumers uh, uh, use it. So I, I think if you can, if there's a way, if you have some friends uh, at, at even one of the accounts that, that can help you uh, test different merchandising around the store, um, and then you find, you could find that, you know, you could have a two or three X velocity increase of the sales per week being in a different area or different department of the store and, and, uh, and then take that learning and, and to your next uh, retail distribution as well. Nice. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're very and congratulations. Yeah, Thank you very much. Thanks for coming up. And Gina, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming up. Hey everyone, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Gina. I co-founded a company called Nuba and we make um, certified organic ready to drink hibiscus tea. Um, and my question for Susie is, is there anything that you wish you did differently um, early on in your career? Oh, in my career? I was going to say with, with the brand. I was going to say with good uh, fats, know, yeah. <laughs> with, with the brand. With, well, with good fats, um, you know, 2020, hindsight 2020, there's like dozens and dozens of things that you, like in retrospect, you're like, oh, wait a minute. But, um, you know, it, had we known about COVID, we would have done a bunch of things differently. But you, you those things you, you kind of, you know, you don't know. Um, if you go through the checklist, positioning, product, price value equation, awareness and trial, have the right board and investors, build the right team. Um, I think, you know, for us, so you kind of go through that checklist. You have a strategic plan, you, which includes, you know, the, the, the marketing plans, the brand plans. Um, we scale. So perhaps the only thing with us is with hyper growth. You know, it went so quickly and we launched some flavors quicker than we wanted to uh, or than we needed to. Sorry, we launched some uh, some skews, some products quicker than we needed to. We launched some skews maybe quicker than we needed to at Costco, although it's kind of hard to say no to Costco and Walmart. So with us, probably the theme is with that crazy scale there's some things that in retrospect, but again, you know, 2020, we, we might have been able to say no. It's kind of easy now to say, well, we would have slowed things down and say no. Back then, you know, when we were in the room, we didn't say no, but with insight, you know, we we would have slowed a few things down. Now, we, we would have never known about COVID, so, I, you know, I can't can't say we wouldn't have, there's, there's like, there's nothing there we could have done differently, but... We were launching in the U.S. when COVID hit, so that's kind of kind of unfortunate. Um, so I don't know if it applies as much um, because of our, you know, our hyper growth brought speed, and with speed comes, you know, higher risk, higher reward. The, the advice I, I always have is go back to sweating out your positioning in your product and don't be scared to adapt quickly um, because there's no point in keeping a product that doesn't have the strong enough product and positioning on the shelf. Like you, 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 it's just not going to, you're eventually going to hit a wall. So just put your time and energy on optimizing that, um, before you spend marketing dollars and people dollars. Thanks so much, Susie. And I also wanted to quickly shout out Arlene Dickinson's in the audience. Mike, I don't know if you want to bring her up. <laughs> well, um, there's a lot of great folks in the audience. I did see Arlene down there. We have some of the largest retailers in, in, uh, in Canada, uh, and, and, uh, and some, some big folks from the U S. Uh, um, so I think that's a compliment to, uh, to Susie and, and overall what we're, uh, what we're trying to do here. If, uh, if Arlene wants to come up, she can put up her hand and happy to, uh, happy to bring her up here. Um, but you know, I've watched plenty of, uh, episodes of Dragon's Den. Hope, uh, I'm sure Susie has as well. And then, and one time mm -hmm. maybe, uh, Arlene wants to be in the audience and, and watching, uh, watching other dragons on stage. So, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I did mention way earlier, you know, for for startups in Canada, uh, and thank you, Arlene and Jason's on the team also, like, it's really hard to start a brand. It's really hard to break through the clutter. It's hard as a female founder. It's hard as a founder, period, in Canada. So, uh, you know, District Ventures and, uh, you know, one of the my recommendations earlier on is to get on the cohorts and try to kind of get in the incubator. There's not a lot of incubators in Canada. It's hard to raise money in Canada. It's hard. Everything is, is much harder, I think, in Canada. So what Arlene and... and and uh, and what Jason have done to help uh, founders and food startup founders in Canada is tremendous, um, and definitely definitely tap into that. I'd like to thank you so much, uh, Susie. It's um, uh, this has turned from a a concept of uh, of helping founders, and and uh, and I'm inspired uh, from from kind of holding these sessions, and and uh, you did not disappoint. Uh, I think lots of value shared for. For founders that are, are going through it right now um, and could use the support by um, good example and, and modeling, which uh, I think you and, and Love Good Fats are, uh, are, are providing. So. Really, really big thanks. I mean, I've had on my list for six months to start kind of helping with Founders to Founders and had, you know, chats with Erica and Anna and just really wanting to give back but it's just so busy when you're also running your own business so an hour and a half on a tuesday night if it can help is amazing and you've just you've just kind of allowed that to happen so a big big thank you um the world is changing at a fast pace it's not hard it's not easy to be an entrepreneur it's not covid is is is, is brutally hard all around for everybody so just a re, you know i'm so grateful mike that our lives intersected um you know, with Arlene and District Ventures three years ago, uh, eternally grateful for that, and uh, I appreciate how kind and uh, and generous you've been tonight. Uh, well, I uh, I appreciate that, and uh, I'm a uh, I'm, I'm a proud uh, uh, Love Good Fats customer. We uh, we have the products in the house, the uh, the truffle bars and and the nutty chewy bars. Um, they're great. Uh, I'm a proud uh, Love Good Fats shareholder. I'm I'm rooting for the business in, in in every way possible. I think the world is just starting to realize that um, that you need uh, fat uh, and you need Love Good Fats. So Aww. thanks so much. So much Susie. love. Yeah. Thank so you so much, much for, for coming out. And everybody, um, thanks for sharing with us and, uh, and have a good rest of your evening. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fata. That's it for now. See you next time.